0: Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And
1: now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. A quick word from our sponsor. You know, business owners need capital to grow and expand. Payroll, hiring, acquisitions, access to capital can be difficult and risky for business owners, especially when it's tied to their personal credit. Credit Suite empowers business owners and entrepreneurs to get the money that they need to grow their business. Credit Suite also helps companies obtain business loans and credit lines through over 1,000 different lenders. A business owner can use business credit to fund their business versus relying on personal funds, personal guarantees, or those of their friends and family. How fun is that? Credit Suite has an A rating with the Better Business Bureau and a five star ranking with Trustpilot. You know, you might be surprised to know that any business can qualify for business credit, even startups, if it follows the proper steps to obtain it. They map out those steps in a free guide called How to Build Credit for Your EIN that is not linked to your SSN. To download this free guide, visit creditsuite.com passive. That's credit s slash passive. Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santorelli. You know, after working with thousands of investors over the past 14 years around creating more income, wealth, and freedom, I've seen firsthand that it is our subconscious beliefs that often work against us. You know, setting up hidden obstacles in the way of achieving what we consciously think we want and blocking the path to our highest potential. Thousands of people today, despite all their best efforts to succeed and grow and thrive, end up failing financially, feeling hopeless and clueless about what they do differently to bring about a better income. So it's the negative beliefs that are the subconscious beliefs that hurt us the most. And these negative beliefs are the money phrases that we have all heard before, and that many of us say consciously and even subconsciously all the time. And you need to be careful. Some of these seemingly harmless phrases about money can actually interfere with the wealth building process, exactly what you're trying to work towards. You know, here are some of the most popular phrases about money that you hear other people say. Maybe you say these yourselves. So the first one is, it takes money to make money. You know, this phrase is limiting at best and destructive at worst. How about this one? Money doesn't grow on trees. You know, this belief sets people up to believe that money is scarce and difficult to earn instead of seeing money as being abundant, which it is. Here's another one. Another day, another dollar. How often have you heard that one? You know, the masses trade time for money. And this creates the belief that making money is a linear process directly connected to time. How about money is the root of all evil? You know, the real saying is actually... The love of money is the root of all evil, but it has been misquoted so often for centuries that most people believe money itself is the root of all evil. It actually is not. A penny saved is a penny earned. There's a classic. This is the very dangerous belief as it puts a major emphasis on saving, and saving in itself is not bad, but the masses are so focused on clipping coupons and living frugally that they miss the major opportunities around them. Money can't buy you happiness. I've heard family members say this in the past. You don't get rich to get happier. You get rich for the financial freedom and time freedom that it brings you. If you're unhappy without money, guess what? You're not going to be happy when you have lots of it. Selfishness is a virtue. You know, the masses are programmed from an early age to put the needs of others before their own. And well, you know, this sounds like a spiritual thing, a spirit driven philosophy. It's actually the worst advice you can get when it comes to money. Because once you acquire wealth, then you can volunteer your time and give back to charity. You know, it's all about being, doing, having, and then giving. And then what about more money, more problems? Well, you know, another myth. Another myth among the masses is the idea that millionaires are workaholics overloaded with so many problems that they don't have time to enjoy life. This is another excuse the middle class uses to justify being broke. You know, when it comes to money, the best advice is to always look at it from a consciousness of freedom, possibility, opportunity, and abundance perspective. Never look at money from a fear or scarcity point of view. That's just going to drive you in the wrong direction. If you're rich, keep thinking the way you're thinking. And, you know, if not, maybe it's time to change the way you think about money. So today, we're talking about beliefs and how they affect your money and wealth. It's my pleasure to welcome Buck Joffrey back to the show. Buck is an accomplished surgeon, an entrepreneur, and an asset manager. He's also the number one best-selling author of Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth. Now, with Buck, he had a negative net worth when he finished surgical training back in 2008, but he quickly became a serial entrepreneur, a real estate investor, and he amassed an eight-figure net worth. Buck, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back, Marco. It's great to have you back on. Now, we had you on the show back on episode number 77, and I remember that episode. It was a great, great episode. But for those people who are new to my podcast here, let's just start off talking about you a little bit. You have an interesting story. Maybe kind of give us the Cliff Notes version of you and how you got involved in real estate investing.
0: Yeah, sure. So I started out as an A student. Right, you hear Robert Kiyosaki talks about A students and B students and all that. I was the typical A student and went to medical school. Started out as a residency as a neurosurgeon, as a brain surgeon, and ultimately made some changes during residency and ended up in cosmetic surgery. The long way right mm-hmm. to no, just kidding. <laughs> but what ended up happening was that along this journey, after I finished training. I knew nothing about money nor did I have any desire because it sounded boring like a lot of professionals all I really cared about is what I did for a living and thought that the idea of you know investing was kind of boring never wanted to learn about it and the idea would be just to you know hand over money to a financial advisor but I read a, a Robert Kiyosaki book called The Cashflow Quadrant literally a day or two after graduating from residency training And it was also during my honeymoon because I'm married there (laughs) and it just changed everything and it destroyed everything in terms of my medical career because I could never work for somebody at that point, right? And so what I ended up doing was starting my first business, which was a cosmetic surgery business, phased myself out because you never want to have your name on the door if you want to, you know, create a business, right? So I did that, did that a couple more times. So that's where the serial entrepreneur comes in. Then... Because I was, you know, I had Kiyosaki on my mind and also remembered that my dad happened to be a real estate investor or a landlord, I should say. At that point, I was making money for the first time in my life. And rather than just give it over to wealth
1: advisors, I started investing in real estate. Mm -hmm. It's a great start. And you learned that from your father. You observed him moving from India and starting out new in the US, buying a duplex, as I recall, And he was cash flow positive right from the beginning, right? I think so.
0: I mean, honestly, here's the thing is like I was, I mean, I would, this happened when I was two or three years old and I didn't, to be clear, my father, I could have learned a lot from my father in real estate, but the way he did it as I grew up was he was a landlord, right? He was like a guy who, you know, bought properties, two or three unit properties, um, some himself, He did everything himself, and when I grew up, he had a pretty significant portfolio by the time I was in high school. And Marco, this phone at my house would ring off the hook, and it was people, it was renters, it was people looking for properties. He outsourced nothing. And so when I was in high school, I thought the last thing on earth I would do is to be (laughs) a real estate investor because that's what it meant to me, right? right? It meant. Toilets, tenants, and termites, right? Who wants that?
1: Right. And that ties into, you know, what you believe, your belief system. So, I mean, you see the good, but you also see the perceived bad. Yeah. But, you know, that's what I want to talk about actually on this episode is your belief systems and how that affects you in terms of creating wealth and income and achieving the financial goals that you want to achieve. So, here's the way I look at it there are basically two different types of belief systems and you know you might disagree with this or you might have different answer to this based on what you have in your course or your program which we'll talk about later on but i believe there are limiting beliefs and then there are supportive beliefs and the limiting beliefs which are often fear-based those are the things that hold people back and we all have them and some people have so many of those limiting beliefs that they just don't break out of that proverbial box and i like what brian tracy had to say he says you begin to fly when you let go of self-limiting beliefs and allow your mind and aspirations to rise to greater heights. So where do your beliefs come from? Let's talk about that.
0: Yeah. So I think that to me, what it really comes down to is, you know, the question of where does anybody's beliefs come from, right? They come from our experience. And, you know, I talk about this in in the context of, you know, if you look at what our beliefs are as a society, where do they come from? Well, obviously, we all have some different backgrounds. You know, I'm a child of immigrants. I'm, you know, I I grew up in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. All these different things that make me unique. But one thing that we all have in common, for the most part, is that we all grew up in the U.S. or in the Western world somewhere. And we all had this sort of standard education system, right? The standard education system, this was created back in the time of the Industrial Revolution. So if you look at the way it's designed, it almost looks like a conveyor belt, right? You've got like 12 different stations grades one through 12, maybe kindergarten, so 13. And at each station, they plop a little bit of information on you and you go to the next station, you get a little information, you plop. And and so as these little widgets that are along this conveyor belt, our job during that period is just taking what we're told, absorbing it and regurgitating it to the best of our ability, right? And so my point in bringing all this up is that we're really not trained to think We're trained to just listen to what other people tell us Mm -hmm. and what other people tell us may not always be the truth or it may not be, you know, the only way to look at the world. So what happens to people when they finish this whole system of this, you know, this school? They come out usually trying to figure out something to replace a curriculum because we're so used to people telling us, you know, this is what you need to learn. This is how it is. These are the rules. This is how you live. And then one day we're out on our own and no one's telling us anything. And that's when we turn to conventional wisdom. Because conventional wisdom is just a societal version of curriculum, right? We learn things that are supposed to be accepted truths. But the problem is that that conventional wisdom is also frequently wrong. I mean, listen, there was a time when everybody believed the world was flat. Why? Well, conventional wisdom, of course, the world is flat. Well, how would that go for you? right i also talk you know a little bit about you know in the course that we can refer to later but there's this whole thing back in the 50s and 60s where we believed that there was this thing called a food pyramid right and the pyramid showed us that we should be eating more starchy foods and carbohydrates the most. And then, you know, it sort of shows this pyramid and at the very top of it, it's like meat and things like that, right? right. We've all seen that, right? Remember that from grade school? Oh, yeah. And so if you looked at that, you would think that the most the most nutritious food out there was pizza, right? <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> think. what we've realized in the last 10 years in particular is that that whole thing, that pyramid's like upside down. And then when you look at why that is, there's actually a reason for it. It was because some Harvard scientists basically were paid off back in the 50s by the sugar industry. So conventional wisdom is not only not right, but it is often influenced by special interests. Definitely. Yeah, so if you take that into the world of finance... And investing. Think about how it is that we're taught to invest. Now, what is the mantra? The mantra is get a good job, you know, and invest for the long term in a portfolio of stocks, bonds and mutual funds. Right. Right. I mean, that's conventional financial wisdom. But then you have to if you look at it from the perspective I'm looking at it from, you might start asking the question, wait a second. Why do I believe that? And. You know, who does that benefit?
1: Yeah, where does it even come from?
0: Right. Where does it come from? And who does it benefit?
1: And if you follow
0: the money, so to speak, it goes back to Wall Street and it goes back to the banks. But it's so deeply ingrained in us that when we actually invest in things outside of that paradigm, we can almost feel guilty like we're doing something wrong, right? Like it's like we're sinning. I mean, listen, I know you deal with a lot of investors on your end. Let me ask you this. How many times have you heard someone say, it just makes so much sense, but I'm just worried because it's just different, you know, and I'm worried about investing in real estate because it sounds like, you know, it's, it's an alternative asset.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, the people that I actually try to help where I go out of my way and approach them as opposed to them approaching me, that's the mindset they have. They've grown up believing that they need to go to school, get good grades, graduate, get a job, save money, put socket away in a retirement account. And then when they reach, you know, 50, 60, 65 years of age, they can quote unquote retire. And then they live the so-called quote unquote proverbial good life. And that's just so backwards. Here's a real example, Buck. I went to one of my neighbors and I literally handed him one of the copies of Rich Dad, Poor Dad that I own. It's my lender's copy. And I gave it to him and I said, here, read this, at least start reading it. And he had just subscribed to my podcast here and I think he listened to a total of one episode. But he gave me the book back about two months later and he said, I just haven't had the time to read this. He literally didn't even open it up and and start reading it. And he is very old school. He's a young guy. He's in his 30s. He has a, a young child. And he is so into his jobs, 401k, investing into that 401k that he doesn't consider or look at anything else. And I've had a long talk with him and he just doesn't want to open his mind. And you and I both know that it's impossible to create financial wealth if you follow conventional financial wisdom.
0: Right. I think when you look at it, you know, I I always ask people the same question. I say, how many people do you know that became wealthy because they invested in stocks, bonds and mutual funds? Because of that. It's almost mm-hmm. no one, right? I mean, if you were wealthy to begin with, you made a bunch of money and you invested, maybe they didn't lose all your money. But it's very rare that somebody actually becomes wealthy. And you know, I think beyond that too, what my thesis is really about is just that I think when you look at what people do out there, and your listeners are probably there's some very smart people out there. They might be professionals who have very, very, you know, strong skill sets that take a lot of brain power to master, right? Yeah. But, but Wall Street has effectively brainwashed us all into believing that we're too dumb to manage our own finances or learn anything about financial education so we don't even try. Because if we tried, we wouldn't like what we saw.
1: We wouldn't like what conventional financial wisdom was telling us. Well, if Wall Street doesn't want you to know anything other than what they want you to believe because they want your money. They want to put their hand in your pocket and make sure that as much of that as possible flows over to Wall Street because they'll pay you a nominal amount, 4%, 6 8%, whatever it might be. I mean, if you look at 2017, the S&P, if you indexed it, was about 19%. But at the end of the day, they're making tons of money on your money and you're essentially taking on all the risk. Yeah, that's what they want you to believe.
0: Right. I mean, listen, here's the other thing, too, I think is important. And really, this is a lot of what my message is in general on my podcast, which is that, hey, if this conventional way of investing was actually the way that was probably the most profitable or that made the most sense, then why is it that the wealthiest people in the world don't invest in mutual funds? (laughs) That's right. Right? That's right. I'm sure Mitt Romney is not heavily invested in mutual funds. That's right. right? And the Rothschild family is not invested in mutual funds. And really, when you look at it and, you know, I now I live over and I live in Santa Barbara, right in Montecito and Santa Barbara some of the wealthiest people in the world. And these people don't play by the same set of rules. The thing is that there's nothing There's a lot of things that if people would just open their eyes, they could do differently. It's just about opening your eyes because, you know, the rich, the affluent, they do invest in different ways. They do invest, you know, in real estate and other alternative assets. They do have different types of investing paradigms and different strategies that they can use. But the thing that's interesting is the more and more I've looked at this, the more and more I realize there's a lot of people who could be using these strategies, who could be you know, implementing the same type of game plan as the ultra-wealthy, but they just won't ever do it because right. they just won't take a little bit of time to teach themselves.
1: Well, that's the thing about beliefs. They're neither right or wrong. You know, The good news is is that limiting beliefs can be changed. And some people believe that their income, savings, and debt are actually a result of external factors, but the reality is they're based on internal factors. And often these come from your childhood and your family So do you have any tips on how we can change or improve our limiting (laughs) beliefs?
0: I think it's really, really tough, right? Because, I mean, these limiting beliefs that we talk about, these belief systems are all based in, again, this conventional wisdom. And conventional wisdom is, I mean, going against what people have been telling you, people you trust, like your parents. I mean, it's like literally, it's almost like, you know, you're you're following a a faith as you're growing up and somebody all of a sudden says, I want you to be, you know, I want you to convert into a different religion. It doesn't happen very often, right? Right. that deeply ingrained so what i would say is look at this i think this is very important understand rationally that what you are doing and your audience again is you know already drinking the kool-aid on this one right but Mm -hmm. everything that you're doing there's not necessarily a right or wrong this is just one way of doing things right and understand that there are other ways and just open your mind to looking at them because again We could have someone tell us that the world is flat and just believe it, or we could actually do a little research and do a little education and figure out, hey, the world isn't flat, in fact.
1: So, yeah. Well, I think essentially people have two options in life. You know, they could work hard, pay taxes, save anything they have left over, and then get taxed on the savings. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or you take a different approach and you take the time to develop your financial intelligence, which I'm a big believer in, and then harness the power of your brain to create those assets, particularly assets that produce income, passive income. Do you agree with me on that? Do you disagree? Any thoughts?
0: Oh, no, no, definitely. I mean, and remember too that, you know, this is the part that I think is really. Really important, and again, there is a lot of smart people out there that, when it comes to investing, are not using their brains. I mean, listen, I used to be a brain surgeon, right? Mm -hmm. And (laughs) brains these are some of the worst (laughs) investors out there, but they're not dumb people, right? They just won't open their you know their mind to all these things that are available.
1: Yeah, well, I guess there is a difference between book smarts and you know. Practical knowledge, I guess. I don't know how else to describe it.
0: Well, I talked to Robert Kiyosaki about this on my show a few weeks ago, right? And got to know Robert last April on the previous summit. I said to him, you know what, because he's always talking about how A students work for C students and B students work for the government, that kind of thing, right? But I said, you know what, I think you're right about that, Robert. In fact, I think that A students are probably the most difficult when it comes to turning the corner. And again, it's because this Pavlovian feedback, right? You've been succeeding your whole life. And when you succeed your whole life, do you think you would actually want to try something different, right? Right. It's easy to try something different when you fail, when you're not a good student, right? You're used to failing. Right. But if you're not used to failing, you're never going to try something new. You're never going to do anything that's different from anyone else. And so I think that's really where the and so what I said to him is I think that I'll take it a step further. I think that not only do A students work for C students, but A students don't even realize they're working for C students. And they don't really it doesn't even dawn on them that they are and they don't even have a clue. They have zero clue and they don't care because they're so in their own world.
1: Yeah, you're right. And it's not until they reach a level of dissatisfaction or frustration that they start to look outside of their comfort zone. And then they start to realize, I mean, I was a couple of weeks ago, I was at the summit, you know, I was on that investor cruise and I was with Kiyosaki and a bunch of other people. And there were several doctors on that ship and they just came to the realization that, holy cow, I make a high income, I either like or dislike my profession, but I know that I'm paying a lot in tax and I could be doing a lot more And they're just getting to the point where they're tired and they realize that I need to create passive income for myself if I want to start to scale back or retire from what I'm actually doing today. And so it's not until you come to the realization that there are other things you can do or you can do better than you're doing that you start to look for the answers to those questions. So that's kind of that aha moment a lot of people have.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: But I mean, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, talking about him, you know, he talks about a lot of these things, these these limiting beliefs, you know, like money is a limited resource and it's not, you know, money is abundant. In fact, look at the Federal Reserve, you know, they're just printing money out of thin air, you know, they just keep adding zeros to their balance sheet. Yeah. Or like
0: debt, right? Like debt is bad.
1: Right. That's probably one
0: of the most, you know, one of the most limiting beliefs there is because in fact- it is virtually, I would say, it's almost impossible
1: to become wealthy without taking on debt. It's very hard and it takes a long, long time because you don't have that leverage or the magnification to allow you to accelerate that wealth creation through good debt. And that's the that's the thing, you know, debt is not debt. There's good debt, there's bad debt. And and when you start to understand that and how you could use it as a tool, a financial tool, then you start to realize, wow, I can fast track my results here. But the people who listen to, you know, God bless them, Susie Orm and Dave, Dave Ramsey, I mean, that's the Kool-Aid they're drinking. And unfortunately, if you really believe that and you follow that advice, you're almost doomed for failure.
0: You know, the funny thing too, Marco, is I read this article some time ago about how Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman do not invest the way <laughs> what they say. It's It's not surprising, right? Because both of them make a ton of money yeah but they don't invest the way they tell everybody else to invest
1: well, yeah no that I know that to be true. I actually do know someone who is related to Dave Ramsey and he owns a lot of real estate and I can tell you <laughs> it's not all free and clear, so Yes, there's a little bit of hypocrisy there.
0: Well, it's just, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's entertainment is what it is. And what we're trying sure. to do, hopefully, you know, with shows like yours and with what I'm trying to do with, with my audience is just, you know, trying to be rational about things and explaining, you know, trying to just expose people to different ways of thinking now, whether or not they... You know, are convinced by it or not? That that that's up to them. But at least they have exposure.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, all we can do is 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 pass on that information, and provide some other perspective and some other financial wisdom. But what they do with it is entirely up to them. I mean, it, yeah. You know, they could take it and open up their mind. I, I love Robert Kiyosaki's analogy of intelligence, and in that that's you know standing at the, the edge of the coin. There's really three sides to a coin. You know, the heads, the tails, and the side. And if you can actually stand on the edge of that coin with feet on both sides and look at both sides of every argument, every suggestion. You know, that's where true intelligence lies. So,
0: you know, it's really critical that
1: people do that.
0: And one of the driving forces for me wanting to do this in the first place is realizing that in my background, people who come from the medical field come from the not just medical field, but just high paid professionals in general, highly trained professionals, right? Lawyers, CPAs, engineers, lots of those. They are perfectly capable of absorbing this stuff. But, you know, they're just not getting the information. Right. Now, why is that? Is that they don't care or? No, I mean, it's not. I mean, listen, I mean, where does anybody learn anything about money? Right. I mean, usually at the end of the day, what happens is they just end up, you know, you finish training, you've been broke for a whole long time. And all of a sudden, somebody comes to you and drops a card in your lap. Right. (laughs) And they're like, they're like, hey, yeah, I'm a wealth advisor or else or else even worse yet. It's like the blind following the blind. You know, you get a referral from your buddy. Who finished residency a year before and they drop a card in their lap, right? So that it's basically that's and it's his wealth advisor on there. And of course, if it's your wealth advisor, you must be some kind of a professional and you must know more than me, right? So
1: Yeah, well again, that comes down to beliefs. If you believe that you're on the right path and you'll retire in comfort, you know, working with your financial advisor or doing what you're doing until you actually have pain. Or you have discomfort in your current situation, I don't think you're gonna take, at least most people probably don't take the next step or a step towards looking at what else is available and what else is out there and better ways of doing what, you know they're doing today. Yeah, absolutely. Pain is a big driver and until you know you put pain in front of people's path, they don't actually take that action. So, you know, it's my hope that we can reach people and point out the pain so they can realize that holy crap, I'm not on the right path. I mean, I might be heading for a train wreck.
0: Yeah, and we're in a time right now where I think it's really important for that to happen because as you know very well, we live in an unparalleled financial time sure. right now. You know the Fed rates are going up a little bit, but really they've been near zero for you know decade now. Mm-hmm. I mean that. I mean that's not happened in the history of the world. No, no, twenty trillion dollars of national debt. You know the old saying. Even even the wealth advisors will tell you that past performance does not indicate future right. future returns. Well, we're in a situation right now where, you know, making four or five percent at best over time and is, you know, if that's what your portfolio is doing for you, even if you have a decent income, that there's a decent chance that you may outlive your money because at the same time these medical advancements that are being made and people right now who are, you know, their 30s, 40s or even 50s may end up living 10, 20 years longer than they thought, yep. right? That's a scary thing, you know, is, and that's really where I think people need to open their eyes. Yeah, um, You look at, even without the advancements that we've had, I mean, if you look at when Social Security started, right? I mean, you know, that was at a time when the life expectancy was around the age of 65. Right. You weren't expecting people to live an extra 20 years. Right. Right? Well, guess what? It happened. And the same thing's going to happen again. And all of a sudden, these people have got their money growing at 4 or 5%. There's going to be a lot of people dying broke.
1: Yeah, unfortunately. And the government's also broke. And so, you know, that whole Social Security, you know, minimal paycheck every month is not sustainable. Who knows if it's still going to be here by the time you and I retire, right? Not that we're relying on it or we even need it, but it's just not going to be here.
0: Well, my point about Social Security is that, you know, it's we at different times have had different scenarios in terms of how long we had to, you know, live after we hit a certain age, after we, unquote, retire And back when Social Security was created, I think the life expectancy of a a man was about 67 years old. So the idea was simply that you'd retire and the government would, you know, support you for a couple years. (laughs) You know, that's basically it. Yeah. And times are changed. They're unparalleled. We're living longer. We have so much debt. We have so much, you know, our country standing in the world may not continue to be the way it will. China will become... Uh, we know that China's, you know, on the path to becoming the world's biggest economy in the next 10 to 15 years. Where does that leave us? I don't know. But we just can't. We have to t- be more proactive. We have to get more involved. And, you know, most people are plenty smart to just open their eyes because, in fact, it's not that hard right? It's not that hard. And frankly, it's not just real estate. I mean, I am heavily into real estate, but there are all sorts of things out there. And I think it's just for people to just think outside of the Wall Street box.
1: Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. On that note, you know, let's kind of wrap it up here. You just launched an online training program called Your Roadmap to Real Wealth. And I am thrilled to have been a part of that. You know, it was a great experience. And just to be surrounded by other like-minded, very intelligent, very successful people as as part of the curriculum for that, you know, is has been an honor. Tell us about the roadmap to real wealth. And then, you know, I'll, I'll kind of fill in the gaps on how people can access that if they're interested. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So as you know, Marco, the whole idea behind the course was that it really reflects the types of things I talk about in the podcast, but it takes it to the next level. Now, when I finished my training back in 2008, 2009, and I started making money There really wasn't a roadmap for me to tell me what to do with this newfound money that I had. And now I realized after reading Kiyosaki's books that I didn't want to go to the wealth advisor. Right. But one thing that Robert's books don't give you a lot um, is, is they're great, obviously. Yeah. And I think he's a genius, but they don't give you nuts and bolts. Now what kind of information? Right. So you've decided I want a different you know, path in life. I want to invest a different way. And, you know, I want to do things the way that the affluent and wealthy people of the world do. So rather than try to learn just do what everybody else is, I'm going to go out on my own. So I didn't have that roadmap and I wanted one, but there was nothing available. So what I've done is I've gone back and I've created that roadmap in this course, the course that I wish I had when I wanted to go on this journey of investing on my own and ultimately toward financial independence. And it's not just about investing and it's not just about real estate. It goes from anywhere from, as we talked about, you know, mindset. So some of these things that we talked about in terms of deconstructing things, reconstructing things, you know, I talk about how, you know, the wealthy view money and how the wealthy's perspective is different. And then I've got guests obviously talking about specific things. People like the real estate guys talking about real estate. You're talking about real estate. You got Kenny McElroy from Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad. Advisor. Series. Yeah, and Rich Dad Advisor. He's talking about that. And then we talk about, you know, we talk about strategies on the show, strategies uh, like various types of insurance-type strategies that can actually make you a ton of money and have guardrails. We talk about tax strategies. Tom Wheelwright, as you know, another Rich Dad advisor, Mm Mm-hmm. And a friend who's just brilliant, you know, their provisions, my CPA team, and he's Robert Kiyosaki's CPA as well. I mean, he spends an awful long time going into the nuts and bolts of how do we think about taxes? Now, Tom obviously thinks of taxes very differently than most CPAs. He thinks taxes is actually mostly, you know, ways that the government's primarily giving you ways not to pay taxes legally, right? Mm -hmm. And so that has literally saved me millions of dollars over the last decade. You've got guys like Kevin Day. Kevin Day who who is one of the world's foremost asset protection and estate planning attorney. Sure. He does something like six or seven hours. I mean, this is an expensive attorney. <laughs>
1: yeah. I know. <laughs>
0: and, you know, he goes into massive amount of detail. And obviously, again, guys like you explaining a lot of the things that you know you know and which I'm sure your listeners are used to, but think about you know, what Marco does for you on this show, and then apply that to all sorts of different areas, the sort of whole, you know, world that you need to be surrounded by the tribe that you needed to be surrounded by in order to take this thing to the next level. And that's really what the course is all about.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's a great summary. You know, the bottom line is this, if you want to be wealthy, you got to do as the wealthy do, you know, you don't have to recreate the wheel. It's been proven. It's been done time and time and time again. So if you want to be wealthy and financially independent, financially free, just do as the wealthy do and... You know, that's what we try and lay out. That's what you're, you know, you've gotten the program. That's what we try and talk about from week to week. So, what I'll do, Buck, I'll put a link in the show notes as well as on the Passive Real Estate Investing website that will link over to your program, you know, your roadmap to real wealth so people can find out more about that. I know there's a bunch of information that explains what's in it, how it works, what it's all about, why you created it, all that good stuff. You know, I've watched your intro video, which is extremely well done. So, I'll put that information on the site and in the show notes so people can access that. Fantastic! Yeah, I'll also put it in my newsletter as well, so that, pe- that way people can have it in their email. And for people listening here that haven't subscribed to my weekly newsletter, you know, they can hop over to the website and subscribe for that as well. So is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we wrap up? No, I think the one thing I think you and I
0: both agree on is that the biggest takeaway that I have had on this financial journey. And remember, I'm talking about you know zero to about 25 million in net worth over the course of seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. And I say that not to you know brag. I'm saying that because I'm on a mission to help people understand it. When you do this, like I'm not talking, there's a lot of people who pretend to have gone on this journey. I've been on that journey. Mm-hmm. And again, looking back at this, what I can tell you is the biggest thing, the biggest thing that I've learned is financial education and building your network. Those are the two
1: biggest things that are gonna help you get there. I totally agree with that. Absolutely. And you know what? I might throw a third one in there. This is just for me, but just have the right mentors, the right team of people that you can learn from, rely on, and have them help you. So
0: Yeah. And I agree. I mean that's part of my network right there.
1: Sure. Perfect. Great buck. Awesome having you on the show again. Thank you for your time. And I know I'll be talking to you again soon, but thanks for coming back on. Thanks for having me, Mark.